Welcome to the Sweet Run Podcast, your source for all things running and travel in super fun destinations around the world. We're your hosts, Gerald Mitchell and Natalie Mitchell. Well, friends, welcome to episode 21. And this week, we are so happy to have Mario Fraioli guide us through our running and travel excursions in Marin County, California. It is so beautiful there. Mario Frioli has spent nearly his entire life immersed in the world of running. Talk to any runner who is passionate about the sport and they know Mario. From his successful journalism career, including six years at Competitor Magazine, to venturing out to build his own running media brand and coaching business, Mario knows the world of running. Every week on his popular podcast and newsletter, The Morning Shakeout, Mario shares informed commentary, engaging conversations, and smart curation all about running. In this conversation, we have the pleasure of talking with Mario. We take a deep dive into how he began his running journey and the origins of his journalism career. Mario is usually the one asking the questions, so it was nice to listen to his story and get to know him. We then pivot into the natural raw beauty of Marin County, where he lives with his wife, Christine, and their dog, Tahoe. Mario shares his very favorite places, including his prime spots for running around Mount Tam and beyond, where to refuel, the best races, and so much more. This episode is sponsored by Inside Tracker and Beam. Inside Tracker is a personalized health and wellness platform like no other. What's their secret? First, Inside Tracker uses its patented algorithm to analyze your body's data and offer you a clearer picture than you've ever had before of what's going on inside you. Then, Inside Tracker provides you with a concrete, science-backed, trackable action plan for reaching your performance goals and being your healthy best. For a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering 25% off its entire store for our listeners. Just visit insidetracker.com/sweetrun. We are so excited to partner with Beam. Beam is a CBD company that's making waves in the wellness industry by offering products that combine THC-free CBD with other high-quality ingredients. Beam was founded by two ex-professional athletes with the idea that everyone should have the chance to experience what better feels like, whether you're sore or stressed. I mean, we all can relate to that, right? Beam is key for recovery and self-care. And you guys, they just launched their first ever non-CBD product line called Elevate Hydration. Elevate Hydration powders give your body the electrolytes it craves and so much more. Because when you're hydrated, your body functions the way it was designed to. And as runners, we totally get that. So the hydration line is available in three delicious flavors, mixed berry, watermelon, and fresh lemon. I think watermelon is my favorite. Uh, And they bring you a supercharged stack of electrolytes sourced entirely from nature, and they make your water taste amazing. So I have a discount code for you. Try Elevate Hydration from Beam for 15% off with the code SWEETRUN. Just go to beamtlc.com and use the code SWEETRUN for 15% off. Let me know if you try it. And now, friends, please enjoy our conversation with Mario Fraioli. Mario Frioli, thank you so much for coming on the Sweet Run podcast. I'm super excited to have you. I have to say I've been a huge admirer of your work for a long time. So it is such a pleasure to have you here. Well, thank you so much. That's a very kind intro and I'm very excited to be joining both of you. 
Yeah, and, and for me, it'll, it'll be very interesting to get another perspective. <laughs> I'm a Bay Area native. Right, I know, so, I know. And I'm an East Bay guy, so <laughs> I'm interested to hear from, <laughs> you know, a, a Massachusetts guy, transplant, Marin County. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Mario, okay, I this is these are the things that I, I've been wanting to say to you. So I have been listening to your podcast since you started it in 2017. And I have to say, out of any other podcast that I've listened to, there's been some episodes that have stood out to me so much that I actually know where I've been running when I've been listening to these podcast episodes. So I want to share them with you. You ready to hear this? Please. Yeah. Yes, okay. please do. I'm, right. I'm very curious to, to hear you um, describe which one stood out to you and where you were when you listened to them. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to start with Ken Rideout. Okay. So, and Ken, if you're listening to this, you are our neighbor. Hey, neighbor. <laughs> and Ken and I have talked about that. I, I haven't gotten myself up to, that early to run with him yet, but... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, actually, he just moved. I hate to break it to you guys. Oh. Um, he is now living in Nashville, Tennessee, what? Which, okay. is about, which is about as <laughs> different from Southern California as as you can get. But he is no longer your neighbor. Um, but I will make sure he listens to this. I'll make I'll pass it along. Yes. Oh, Ken, I'm so bummed. I was hoping that we would be able to run together. But anyway, um, his episode stood out to me so much. I was running around my neighborhood and I popped it in uh, or not popped it in, but I, I clicked on it. <laughs> to listen to that like cassette tape. You just pop it in. <laughs> no. Oops, you told no, on yourself. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't pop it in. <laughs> Oh, anyway, I, that episode stood out to me so much. There was such a range of emotion with his story. I was like, compel, you know, it was such a compelling story of what, you know, kind of what he had went through in his life. And then there was so many points where, I mean, he's hilarious. He's such an eloquent Mm -hmm. storyteller. And so I just never wanted that episode to end. And of course you always have a way of bringing out, you know, the best in people and all the little nooks and crannies that most people wouldn't think to ask you always seem to do that. So I really enjoyed that episode. And I have two more. Can I share them? So so where were you when you listened to the Ken Rideout episode? I don't think you shared that. Yeah, I was running around my neighborhood. I was on an okay. easy run, um, and which ended up extending to a longer run. And I was like, I'm not ready yep. to be done yet. This is, I don't want anybody <laughs> to bother me. I just <laughs> want to finish this episode. So it turned into a longer, easy run. But yeah, I was running around here. And I thought to myself, well, Ken, we're going to have to like go for a run. And then you actually reached out to him. Joe. Yeah, we, we had a whole like, I forget, uh, Twitter or something. We had a whole dialogue back and forth about, you know, because I was adopted um, mm-hmm. and him talking. And it was just that part of the story was very compelling to me. Um, you know, and it, yeah, there was just a lot of kind of parallel lines that, that we kind of riffed about for a couple of minutes. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So I'll be I excited really, to hear that. I'll make sure I I'll make sure I pass this along to him. Yeah, cool. for sure. Okay. The second one, Mario, that really, really moved me um was Frank Gagliano. So I just went through like I feel like if people would have watched me, um, again, I was on a trail, I was on a trail near our house and I went out on a long trail run and I was coming back and I had this episode in, and it was like that episode took me from like being 
super light. There was points where I was like actually crying during it because he was so, I was so moved by the things that he was saying. And just like this guy who's been a coach for so long and like mm-hmm. the history and like everything that he has gone through and how much he's invested in his athletes. And, and so I just, I really loved that episode. I, well, I appreciate you sharing all of that. Uh, the Frank, I, I love both of those as well. The Frank Agliano one really sticks out to me. I think personally, that was one of the most impactful conversations I've ever had in my life, period. And it's funny that you mentioned where you were when you listened to those two conversations, because I can remember very viscerally where I was for both of those conversations myself and can put myself back in the room because I did both of them in person. And with Coach Gagliano in particular, we were in his office at his house in Rye, New York. And all around us were just photos of the athletes that he's coached over the years, you know, pen relays awards. I mean, you name it. And just to be able to sit across from him and look in his eyes as he's talking about these athletes that he coached like 60 years ago and it brought him to tears. It was really powerful and just threw me off guard. That's the first time in an interview. I think anyone's ever cried on me. Um, never mind an 82 year old man, but, um, yeah, I mean, really impactful conversation for me. He's someone I I've long looked up to. I felt really grateful to have the opportunity to talk to him and we've been able to maintain a relationship since then, which means a lot to me as well. So I'm, I'm glad that both of those really hit home with you and, and had an impact and, you know, brought out those emotions as well. Yeah, Absolutely. no, your show is, is really amazing. And I think it does, um, touch all of us as runners. And I think people that listen to the show that even aren't runners, either one, they're going to want to become a runner because, you make this sport, you know, just like a, a really cool place to want to be, or, um, you know, those of us that run, we, we use that time to kind of reflect and, um, I don't know, it's a good way to escape. So anyway, thank you for everything that you do for our community. Uh, you're welcome. And thank you so much for the kind feedback. Ah, all right. So Mario, I know everybody knows a little bit, you know, knows a lot about you, but will you tell us a little bit about, you know, your running journey as, as, as like, as far as how you really got into the sport and now where you are with coaching and podcasting? Mm-hmm. I'll give you the cliff notes version. Cause we could be here for a long time. <laughs> if I go back 23, 24 years and take you through the entirety of it. But I started running to keep in shape for basketball. That's the short answer. I played basketball all through middle school and into high school. And I went to a summer camp at Clark University in Worcester, Massachusetts, where my mom worked. And there was a coach there named Jim White. And he really took an interest in me. And he said, hey, if you really want to have a great basketball season, you need to run cross country. And he told me how he had done that when he was in school. And as a coach, he encouraged all his his basketball players to run cross country in the fall because it would help improve their endurance and stamina for basketball. You just go up and down the court, you know, all game. And I said, sure, I'll do it. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Uh, so I joined the cross country team, uh, going into my junior year of high school. So I'd already been two years in at that point, hadn't run. And we didn't have a great program at the school. 
in fact, we only had six guys on the team, not even enough. I mean, we had enough to score. She only needed five, but we didn't have like a full team of even seven. Uh, and the coach of the team, good guy named Jim Ganya, he was the janitor at the school and was a recreational runner. And it was just something he did on the side was, was coach the team, but we really didn't train all that hard. If I'm being honest, I mean, we would race twice a week and in between we'd usually take a day off and I might run like two to three miles on the other days. I mean, it really wasn't structured at all, but there was something about the competitive aspect of it that really clicked with me. I loved racing other people. And I loved at that point learning how to race because I'd never really done it before aside from, you know, schoolyard races and, you know, racing my siblings or friends down the street. But these were long races for me at the time, three ish miles. And I had a tendency to go out still do too hard. And I had to learn how to I had to learn how to how to deal with that because I'd go out so hard and then I'd start to die and then I'd get passed and and that really kind of bothered me. So I had to learn how to race and I just I just enjoyed that learning process and I enjoyed the competitive element of it. And I liked that it was a team sport, but it was largely me. Uh, I was in control of my destiny and I was responsible for whatever moves that I made. And at the end of the day, like whether I was whether I was successful or not ultimately came down to me. And I, I really like that. I still like that to, you know, to this day. And I went on from that first cross country season to play basketball that winter. And then a few weeks into the basketball season, I mean, it, I was I was basically riding the bench. I mean, we had a kid on our team, Kevin Reed, who ended up playing D1 at the University of Maine. I wasn't going in unless he needed a breather. Um, and that's not, I mean, no one wants to ride the bench as much as I loved basketball. And I asked the indoor track coach if I could just practice with the team. Uh, and I practiced with the team in the afternoons because we wouldn't have basketball practice till nighttime. And I just liked the training aspect of it. We had a different coach for indoor track. We we're doing different things than we were during cross country. And, and he said to me, he's like, hey, you've got some talent at this distance running thing. I think you could be a great miler. I know you love basketball, but let's face it, you're not you're not getting on the court um, anytime soon. But if you wanted to um, join the indoor track team, I mean, you'd have to quit basketball because you couldn't play multiple sports. We have a spot for you. And I thought about it for for a good week. And I said, you know what, I'll I'll take the leap. And I think he told me, too, that there was a chance I could run in college. And I wasn't sure if I could do that playing basketball. So. Uh, I joined the indoor track team and I just threw myself into it. And I started training more like a distance runner, doing interval workouts. I met another mentor shortly after that a guy named Bill Gadare, who was actually an alumni of a rival high school, but competitive runner in his own right. He coached a local club team, invited me to the club workouts. And I really started to immerse myself in the culture of the sport. I learned what it meant to train for these events. I took an interest in it outside of just what I was doing. I mean, this is late 1990s, but when I had time on the computer at school, I would, I would scour the internet or the library even for whatever I could find about training for running, how people prepared for these these different events and i still have some of those printouts to this day like in my filing cabinet next to me and like looking back i'm going off on a little tangent here so i apologize but looking back i mean those were some of the first seeds that were planted in terms of my my coaching practice that is a big part of how i spend my working time today um, but i started that back in high school and i was just really interested in how people trained for 
these middle and long distance events and um, that curiosity has has not stopped to this day that is a very compelling uh kind of history for me because we i feel like we're like uh you know uh very parallel in that sense um but the difference was you had the right person at the right time give you the influence right say, let the basketball go yeah <laughs> because i'm thinking man where would i have been if my cross-country coach would have said hey you know this will help you out with basketball come out you know i i ran track i just did spring and then uh, basketball the rest of the time but um yeah just the right influence at the right time man, makes all the world a difference yeah i, I mean it, it made all the difference for me because even though i started my junior year with cross country you know theoretically i got six seasons of of running in between cross country indoor and outdoor track before my high school career wrapped up but i really didn't start training until later in my junior year i mean i was just racing before that essentially and then summer leading into my senior year i put in for at the time was was way more running than i did the summer before i didn't do any running before my first year across country but that summer going into my senior year i knew that i was committed to running um i knew that i had a chance of potentially attracting some interest from college coaches i ran about 30 to 40 miles a week that summer which was was a lot for me at the time 30 40 miles a week more than i ran the summer before and i really had a breakthrough my senior year in cross country and then indoor and outdoor track but it was still you know i'm if i had started two years prior i think i i probably could have been a lot faster coming out of of high school but it was clear to me that i still had a lot of room to grow and that was exciting and i mean at risk of fast forwarding through too much i i did go on to run in college division two at stonehill college i was recruited but i was not a scholarship athlete coming out of high school um, i had very modest personal bests but i was still very early in my development as a runner i was very hungry to improve but i was also just very excited about the sport and learning more about it and immersing myself in it and that i mean continues to fuel me to this day two plus decades later yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I feel like the same way in the sense that my story, um, you know, I was really passionate about running in high school and I didn't get a scholarship going into college either, but I just knew that it was something that I, I wanted to do. But, you know, the, mm -hmm. the difference with you is that you later, I feel like down the line, just kept getting faster and faster and faster. And I even saw you were that you did a race. I saw it in your in your newsletter. Um, that you just did this this race. Um, it was like a four mile race. Yeah, so I did a race not this past weekend, the weekend before. So I guess that would have been the first weekend in February called Take the Bridge here in the Bay Area. It was over the Golden Gate Bridge and it was 4.2 miles. And it was a very small race. It was 10, I actually think it was only eight men and 10 women, separate starts. And uh, first race I had run since november of 2019 new york city marathon so yeah 38 almost 39 years old and still <laughs> still racing um i you know i've just accepted at this point that it's a part of of who i am it's what i love to do it brings so many more benefits to my life beyond just competitive satisfaction it's not about personal best for me anymore but i think there's a lot to gain from competition and immersing yourself in competition and and i love to compete just as much as i did when i was a junior in high school getting into the sport for the first time 
So how did it feel kind of knocking the rest off a little bit since it had been over a year since you raised? Uh, it was on, it was unpleasant. Um, yeah, it was unpleasant. I mean, I, I had some decent fitness, hadn't raced in a while. The other guys are really fast and quite a bit younger than me as well. And as I said, I have a tendency to go out too hard. Always have. I definitely did in this race. I led through the first probably 600 meters or so. And my first 400 was just way too fast. And, um, it was also going up onto the golden gate bridge. So it was an uphill first mile <laughs> essentially. So one, four miles is a pretty short race for me at this point in my life. Uh, it feels like I'm redlining the entire way, throw in an uphill first mile. That was way too fast. Um, by by all accounts and i was really in the hurt box about like by halfway by the turnaround and uh the last the last two miles back to the finish line were, were a struggle but i got it done um and and i i mean it, it was unpleasant in the moment but i you know i took a lot away from it and i just loved being back out there again and in that environment as low-key as it was i mean this was very unofficial it was unsanctioned the course was not marked um there were no medals there's no qualifying for anything it was just racing but i loved it i just i loved it and it was good to be back at it yeah it's good to uh just put the you know kind of put the blade to the grindstone man to keep sharp so yep it uh, that's just part of the like you said the fun of just doing it so yeah and and not having raced in well over a year at this point i mean it really just reignited something in me and made me hungrier for whatever's to come later this year. Hopefully we all have more opportunities to compete, but I'm like, Oh, maybe I'll get back on the track now and I'll race as a master's runner, uh, you know, 40 plus in the mile a year or so from now. I mean, maybe that sounds appealing. Maybe I'll try to get back into like cross country as I age up here and I can be competitive in that age group again. So it like got all kinds of wheels turning for me. Now, does that carry over? Has that always carried over for you in other areas of life? I mean, is it checkers and 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 anything <laughs> with siblings or what I'm, have you? I pick my spots, uh, but if something is important to me or if it's meaningful to me, then I can get pretty competitive with it. And for me, honestly, I mean, being competitive is just trying to get the best out of myself, whatever that situation is. And that could be a, a race. It could be you know, something like checkers where it's just a, a strategic game, but I'm still trying to play the best game that I, that I can. And what I hope that does is, is it elevates everyone around me. Uh, I mean, even though I'm just trying to get the best out of myself, but I know that if I'm trying to do that, then whoever it is that I'm competing with, and I, and I say with very deliberately, not against it's bring, it's helping them to bring out the best in themselves as well. Um, because then if I look over at them or someone else looks over at them and I'm like, wow, they're just, they're really doing everything they can to be successful here. It like makes me want to be that much better. And I think that's, what's so incredible about competition. It's, it's not just trying to beat the other person it's trying to bring the best out of one another. Yeah, that's what I love about our sport. We really can. I mean, it's, you know, it really is just what you said, bringing out the best in the other person and knowing that it's like, I can run really hard. That's going to make the other person run really hard. And at the end of the day, we're both going to come out feeling like, mm -hmm. man, we put in a lot. We put in a good effort and we, you know, everybody wins, um, even though there's yeah, not. And, there's we made it, and we made each yeah, there's good. Yeah, someone's got to come out on top. But yeah. but if you made each other better, um, then then everybody really does win. Yeah, um, Mario, I'm ex so excited to talk to you about where you live because that's going to be really fun. But 
before we dive into that, there, I really want to okay. ask you, I feel like your whole career has really been about running from, like you said, mm-hmm. running in high school and college, and then, you know, just to where you are now. So did, I want to ask, do you, did you know that having running as kind of like your career did you know that that was going to be a part of your life? I mean, you worked at Competitor for six mm-hmm. years, and and now you've got this great podcast and you're coaching. Did you know that that was the path your life was going to lead? That's a great question. The short answer is yes. The longer answer, which I'll get into here, was I didn't know what I wanted to do in running. I knew that I wanted to work in running and be involved in the sport at some level. And it's evolved a lot since I graduated from college in 2004 because initially I wanted to be a professional athlete. I wanted to run for a brand, for a team. I applied to a bunch of them, got rejected from almost all of them because I just wasn't quite good enough. And I mean, long story short, I, I did not become a professional athlete and it became pretty clear to me by like my mid to late twenties that that was not going to be a viable path. And by that point I had worked in a few different jobs. I mean, my first job out of school, honestly, the summer after I graduated college was working at a McDonald's. My aunt was the manager of the McDonald's. So it was easy for me to get a job, but I knew I was moving out to Eugene, Oregon that later that summer. Um, to try and run professionally. There was a team out there called Team Eugene Puma, which was a very like small, not certainly not big time professional group, but they they let me join. I moved out to join that group. So I worked at McDonald's that first summer. I knew that that wasn't what I wanted to do, but I needed to make a little money before I, I went across country. I was only in Oregon for about two months. I came back home and I was in this situation where I needed to find some work because I needed to start paying back my student loans within the next couple of months. And I just, I needed something and I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I knew that I still wanted to run at that point. The, the professional dream was like still kind of alive, but I needed to supplement it with something else. And I was looking in the newspaper, the Worcester Telegram and Gazette, our local hometown paper in central Massachusetts through the classified ad section. And there was a classified ad for a call taker in the sports department at that newspaper. And what the call taker does is they answer the phone in the sports department. They take calls from high school and college coaches who give you the stats of their game. You're the guy who puts the box scores together. And you also write up these like two to four sentence summaries of games that you did not attend. And I got that job. The editor of the newspaper's name was Dave Greenslit. At the time, he remembered me from my high school days and my college days because they had covered me as an athlete. He gave me the job. It was minimum wage. It was part-time. It was 5 to 9 p.m., four nights a week. It was like 16 hours. I mean, clearly not enough to pay back student loans. Luckily, I was living at my parents' house, so I didn't have any rent uh, because they, fortunately for me, didn't charge me it. Um, But I I still needed more work, Um, and that was only 16 hours a week, and it was, again, like 5 to 9 p.m. at night when the coaches would call in. Uh, but I loved it. I, I absolutely loved it. I loved talking to the coaches. I loved just getting these bits of information and then spinning a story out of it. And no one reading the paper the next day knew that I wrote Massachusetts is not a big state compared to California, but this is like the second, third biggest paper in the state behind the globe and the Herald. It had a pretty wide reach. I mean, I knew that 
people all around central Massachusetts were picking up the sports page and reading about, you know, the baseball game, the basketball game, the football game, the cross country meet. Um, and they're, they're reading this little summary of it. And, and I mean, I wasn't there, I'm just going off of the stats, but I loved like, I love telling the story. Um, and that was really impactful on me. So I did that for a while. And then I also, I got another job at the newspaper, a second separate job working in telemarketing. And that was from nine to 2 PM Monday through Friday. So it was 25 hours a week, uh, but it offered me health insurance. And that was also important because I was also losing my parents' health insurance at the time. So I needed to, to cover that in addition to like making some money. So for a while I would work at the newspaper from, uh, nine to two telemarketing, uh, which was a, actually a separate office from the editorial office. But I worked nine to two trying to sell people the paper, like cold calling the paper, getting people to renew their subscriptions, you know, all that kind of stuff it was me and like a bunch of, of retired older women and men in their like 60s, 70s and 80s who, who worked in there. Um, but I mean, it wasn't my favorite thing in the world, but I learned a lot um, just in terms of reaching out to people cold and starting a conversation and, you know, taking rejection well, like it, like very important skills to what I do now, even though I had no idea at the time. Um, and then I'd have a couple hours and then I would go in and I'd, I'd work at the sports department at night. And I did that for I did that for the better part of like a year, year plus while still, you know, pursuing the running thing and trying to figure out like what it was that I, I wanted to do. Um, but I, I knew that I loved the editorial part of working at the paper. And then I ended up having an opportunity to cover for our running columnist. We had a, a running columnist who wrote a running column for the newspaper every Sunday. And he didn't work on staff. He was a, a freelancer and I think he went on vacation and they asked me, to fill in for him because I knew that I, I loved running and I was connected to the local scene. I said, sure, I'd love it. And I did that for a few weeks and they were much happier with my column than they were his and they offered it to me. And I was like, okay, this is great. Now I'm writing regularly. Uh, and then I got to go out and cover some high school games on occasion. And fast forwarding a bit, we had a writer on staff at the Telegram Gazette. I, I won't share his name but he was the patriots beat writer for the new england patriots he was at the super bowl covering the team uh someone read a few of his columns and they were like huh this this looks like something i've read somewhere else long story short he was plagiarizing peter king of sports illustrated this guy lost his job had to come back home from the super bowl someone else on staff took his place it opened up the high school beat reporters position which someone else on staff took, which opened up a copy editing position, which was not full time, but it was like 30 hours a week and it paid pretty well relative to the other things I was doing. So I applied for the copy editing position because I wanted to get out of telemarketing and I got the job. Uh, and I was like, oh, all right, well, this is like a real job. I mean, I'm working basically four shifts a week and I'm making more money than I was working these like two little part-time jobs at the newspaper. I still have health insurance. I still got to write this running column. I was still training and I, you know, I, and I always loved writing. I loved writing all through college and even though I had no idea where it was going to take me, but now I'm like, I'm, I'm on staff at the newspaper. I'm editing. I had no experience editing at all. I had learned it all on the job and it was very formative for me. Uh, and to be in that environment, 
like four nights a week. It's very fast paced. You've got all this information coming out. You've got, we had six different editions of the paper. So we had deadlines from like 11 PM till 1 AM in the morning. And I, I mean, I loved it. Um, you know, and unfortunately at the time, newspapers were still like semi thriving. Uh, this is in the early, early two thousands. Um, I loved it. Um, and I wasn't sure where I was going to take it because the way things worked at the newspaper, unless someone like died, quit or got fired. I mean, you're not, <laughs> you're not getting a, you're not getting a job. People tend to stay in them for, you know, for a long time. And I, I, quite honestly, got lucky to be in the position that I was in in the first place. So I did that for about a year or so. Um, I ended up picking up some part-time hours at a running store called PR Running. And I had been going there as a customer regularly and the owners, Rich and Jess Allen. I mean, from the first time I walked in there, they asked me if I wanted a job and I always said, no, 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 you know, I don't, I don't need a job. And then I went back to them and said, Hey, could I pick up, you know, a couple hours a week? Um, so I was working 30 hours a week at the newspaper, but I wouldn't go in until 5 PM. I mean, I worked basically 5 PM to, you know, 1 AM. So I had all day and, and I could work hours if I wanted to. So I picked up a few hours here and there. Um, eventually, I picked up a lot more hours because Rich and Jess had their first kid and they didn't have any other employees. So I was working for about six or seven months where I would open the running store at 9.45 in the morning. I'd work till uh, 4.45 p.m. I'd get in my car. I would drive to the newspaper. I would work from like 5, 5.15 to like 1 o'clock in the morning. I'd go to bed, I'd get up, I'd run, and then I'd do it all over again. And that was obviously unsustainable. Uh, but I loved it. I loved it. Um, my running suffered. My health and social life suffered quite a bit. But I loved what I was doing professionally. And and the seeds were definitely like getting planted there. And you know, I realized it was unsustainable. And I had to figure something out. And I was like, well, what do I, you know, what do I really want to do? And I'm like, I'd really like to write. Um, and I just don't know how I'm going to be able to do it. And then Rich and Jess were looking for a full-time manager of the store uh, because they wanted to spend more time at home with their, you know, with their young kid. And and I was the only employee at the store at the time. So they asked me if I if I wanted to be full-time. And I mean, that was 40 hours a week. I'd have to quit the paper, but I got benefits. Um, I had <laughs> I had more sane and predictable hours, uh, which was good. So I, I took the job and I, I became the manager of PR running a run specialty store, which is still going strong in Westboro, Massachusetts back in, uh, 2006. And I, I did that for, I did that for a few years until I realized that I really missed writing. I was still doing a little bit on the side. I kept the running column actually, um, for the newspaper, but I wasn't doing a freelancing, um, you know, I wasn't on, I certainly wasn't on staff anywhere else, but, you know, around 2008, 2009, uh, the only writing I was doing was that running column. And then I was writing in my own personal blog at the time. And I, I just knew that I wanted to write more and I was determined to figure out a way to do it. That is a heck of a journey. I mean, you, you strike me as like a dream job. Yeah. It's like, dream journey. Yeah, quite the MacGyver, you know, you put it all together, but you know, as, as you kept digging and things come and you put it together in, until you get what you needed out of it. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, here's, I mean, here's the thing though. I mean, 
here we are now in 2021 and I'm, and that's what I'm still doing. I'm still trying to figure it out. And I, I accepted that a long time ago. Like it's going to be this constant process of figuring it out. And, you know, I can look back now and say, oh, I planted these seeds at different times without even knowing it. But everything that I've done from like working at McDonald's to answering answering the phone at the newspaper to working at a specialty run shop. I mean, I also started, you know, right after college actually is when I started coaching some people just like on the side, like very, very casually. Um, you know, I was planting all these seeds along the way without even knowing it. And like, I know even now I'm planting seeds that aren't going to sprout for another three to five years. And I, and I, couldn't tell you how they're going to sprout or what they're going to look like. But I mean, I know like what I'm doing now, which I love and I enjoy. Um, and everything I've done in the past has brought me to this point. Like this is just another stop along the way. Yeah. It's part of the process. Another mile down. But one thing that you didn't tell us, Mario, is how did you end up getting the competitor gig? So at the end of 2009, I, like I had come to the realization that what I wanted to do was coach and write. If I, if I could draw up my, my dream job, it was to spend some of my time writing and some of my time coaching. So I'd started coaching a few more people at that point. And I went to my boss at the running store, Rich, the owner, who's still one of my best friends to this day. He was one of my groomsmen in my wedding. I said, Rich, I, and I was like trembling having this conversation with him because I had so much respect for him and I, he relied a lot on me. I was like, Rich, please don't take this personally, but I want to figure out a way to spend more of my time coaching and writing. I don't know how to do it. All I know at this point is I can't dive right into it. Um, but I would like to scale back my hours at the running store so that I had some stability in terms of of income. And I asked him if he would be willing to let me go back from full time to three days a week. So it was about 24, 25 hours a week and still maintain my health benefits, even if I had to, because he covered my health benefits at the time. Like even if I had to pitch in, you know, however much money for him, like as long as I could still have health benefits. And he said, yeah, absolutely. We'll find a way to make it work. And quite honestly, I'm surprised that you lasted this long as manager of the store because I know how much you love writing and coaching and I'm grateful for all the time you've put in here, but I want to support you in these next steps. So that's what I did. Um, I stepped back to three days a week at the store that opened up basically two days a week um, for me to pitch stories, work on stories, write stories, pick up more athletes, like work on coaching, like all that sort of stuff. Um, so that's what I did. And I started just pitching freelance style and I got some good advice. A, a guy that I admired a lot at the time and still admired to this day, his name's Scott Douglas. I read a lot of his writing in running times at the time, which is my favorite running magazine of all time, uh, no longer exists, but Scott was one of their, their main writers and editors. And I knew he contributed to a lot of other places and had made a career as a freelance writer. And he lived in Maine, which was about two, two and a half, three hours away from where I lived at the time. And I sent him an email and I said, Scott, could I come up to Maine, go for a run with you and basically pick your brain for a day and learn how to become a freelance writer? Cause I have no idea what I'm doing. And he said, sure, if you want to come up here, I'm happy to give you my time. And that's exactly what I did. I drove up, we went for a run, we went out for bagels afterward, and I just peppered him with questions. And he gave me some great advice. He was an assigning editor at the time uh, at, 
I believe it was at running times at the time. And he, you know, he said, Hey, here are all these places that you can pitch to. Here's how you pitch. I mean, the advice he gave me at the time, he said, as a freelancer, you need to, you need to pitch, 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 pitch. And when you feel like you've like pitched your brains out, you need to pitch some more. And I was like, huh, all right. Like that's what it's going to take. Um, so that's what I did. I mean, he actually gave me the heads up that competitor group was forming at the time. They had just gobbled up all these properties, rock and roll marathon series, competitor magazine, triathlete magazine, um, Velo news, like all of these titles. Um, and he knew they were looking for writers. He said, I'd, I'd reach out to them, uh, and see, you know, see if they have any, um, see if they have any, any work available, but he's like, I think they might. And they're, you know, they're funded by venture capital company. So, you know, I know they have money, but you got to start pitching. So that's what I did. I started pitching. I started pitching stories. I pitched a runner's world. I pitched a running times. I pitched a new England runner. I pitched a triathlete, um, you know, profile ideas that I had training articles that I wanted to write. And then fortunately for me, and this is like just the wildest coincidence in the entire world. My best friend from high school, uh, had been living in San Diego and he moved out to San Diego right after, and we went to college together too. So he was my best friend from high school. He went to a rival school next town over. We hit it off when I got into running. He ended up following me to Stonehill college cause he was a year behind me. Um, after he graduated, he moved out to San Diego to work for Reebok and he was the running specialty rep for Reebok in San Diego. And sometime in 2009, they laid off all of their running specialty reps. So he, he lost his job and he's in San Diego with his then fiance, like wondering, what do I, like, what do I do next? Do I move back to Massachusetts and try to find a job? Like we've been in San Diego at this point for like three and a half years. Um, can I find another job in running? I don't know what to do. Well, he got, he got the web editor position at competitor.com with zero editing experience at all. Um, he had no editing experience. He worked in, in running footwear sales, but through a friend of a friend who was looking for someone who just knew running, he got hired for that position and he took it because he wanted to stay in San Diego. Um, long story short, he hated it, did not like working as, you know, as an editor and he and I were talking at the end of 2000. Well, like early 2010, he's like, he's like, Hey, he's like, um, I, you know, I think I'm going to be leaving my job at competitor. And I, and I had already been writing for him. Um, his colleague, Matt Fitzgerald had started giving me some, some assignments. I already had my foot in the door there. I was writing some, some training articles for them. I was writing a column for triathlete magazine monthly called, uh, well, every other month called on the run. So it was their run training column. Um, so I was already like kind of in, under the competitor umbrella as a freelancer and I was doing regular work for them, but he, he got in touch with me and we were talking, he's like, Hey, he's like, I'm, I'm going to be leaving competitor. I'm giving my notice this week. I'm taking a job with Saucony back in footwear sales. Um, I'm going to be staying in San Diego, but you know, they've treated me well here. I want to, you know, I want to give them plenty of time to find a replacement. And I know. Kurt, who was his job, who was his boss at the time, would really appreciate it if I could make a recommendation. And he's like, I know this is what you want to do. Um, I had taken the steps months prior to like write more. And, you know, I was look, I mean, I was looking for a staff job, but they are just few and far between in running publications. They were then and they, they're even more so now. Uh, he's like, I know this is an opportunity. 
like you might be interested in. And before he could even finish the sentence, I was like, yep, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm interested. I'm like, give him my name, tell him I, yeah. tell him I want in. And, uh, and that's what he did. He, he gave him my name and they flew me out for an interview. Uh, I, you know, I thought it went pretty well, but I hadn't had the chance yet to meet their, um, their senior VP of media who was out of town and he really wanted to meet me and they were interviewing some other people for the position as well. Um, and so fast forward another month or so Boston marathon of 2000. Uh, so this would be 2010s so is like April, 2010. I had my final interview with Andy Hersom, who was the senior vice president of, of like, media at competitor group and i was really intimidated he had been the he had been the uh publisher of runner's world years prior um had worked in some pretty high profile jobs he's a very intimidating guy and i was working for a competitor as a freelancer at the boston marathon that year they basically rented me out for the weekend i lived in massachusetts so i was already there um and i just i just wrote stories all weekend um but i had an interview with him and it was at the Prudential Center at the at the I think you say it all Aubon Pond restaurant like downstairs. Uh, so he interviewed me and I was just I was really intimidated, overwhelmed. Um, it was him and another one of the senior VPs who just happened to like tag along for it. And he was just like grilling me. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I couldn't get out of my head. And um, I thought I had the worst interview. I mean, it was it was awful. And toward the end of it, um, I actually, I, I had a, a vasovagal response and I almost passed out <laughs> from, from the stress of it. I actually had to stop the interview and I was like, I need to sit down. I, I need to like go into a corner and like tuck, cause this has happened to me before. I'm like, I need to go, I like, kind of tuck my head and he started like freaking out. They went and bought me like a Coke and like all this stuff. So I almost passed out in my final interview, um, but I got the job a couple days later, <laughs> which was great. Um, and they offered me the, the web editor position at competitor and they wanted me to move out to San Diego as soon as possible. Um, so this is like mid April of 2010 and they wanted me out there basically by the end of end of May. So I could start like on, on June 1st. And I had a lot of, of loose ends to tie up. Um, you know, I let rich know at the running shop that, Hey, I'm going to be moving to San Diego. Uh, so I'm not going to be working here anymore. And he was very, very supportive of that. I had to basically, whatever freelance assignments I had, I had to wrap up. Uh, the biggest issue at the time is the girl that I was dating and who was living with me at my house that I had owned for about two years at that point, um, did not want to come to California, was not excited to, to, to move and told, and basically told me like, I, I couldn't go. And I remember telling her, I was like, I'm going to California. This is my dream job. You can come with me if you want, but like, I've got to, I've got to take this position. And, um, and she ended up coming out with me. Uh, that relationship did not last. We ended up like splitting up within six months of moving out to San Diego, but it all worked out. I met my wife a few months later. Um, but that's how I, that's how I got the job at, at competitor in 2010. It was like a very quick turnaround. And I ended up like, uh, selling my house within six weeks and like packing up my entire life shipping my car out to San Diego and hopping on a plane. And, um, my best friend who had the job at competitor prior to me, picked me up at the airport. And that's how I started my life in 
California almost 11 years ago, which is pretty wild. That is wild. Yeah. We have a good friend who worked at competitor for a long time. Alex Baxter. Do you know him? So Alex came in. Oh, I forget what year it was after I started, maybe 2012, 13, yeah. 14, somewhere in that time frame. And he took over for this guy, Andy Hurson. He was the new Alex was the new executive vice president of media. Um, probably three or so years into my six year tenure at competitor. Okay. Small world. Yeah. Yeah. Very small world. Yeah, I was definitely interested to hear how you got to California because the first shot to the West Coast, I was thinking, okay, it was Eugene, and then he worked his way south. South, but no, nope. San Diego, and you worked <laughs> your back way east. North. Yep. <laughs> well, yep. that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty sweet move to move from. I mean, I I mean, I love Boston, I love Massachusetts, but it's it is nice in in you know in the winters to be in San Diego. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I. Honestly, the three and a half years I lived in San Diego, even though I was working full time, I felt like I was on vacation the entire time. If I'm if I'm being completely candid, uh, <laughs> I went into work every day. I put in plenty of hours, but it was just so opposite of what I was used to growing up in central Massachusetts, which is about 45 minutes west of Boston. And mm. I mean, it's different in every way from you know, the, the people and the attitudes and the climate and the terrain. Um, but it was, it was a breath of fresh air for me. I had never lived I, aside from my like two months in Eugene. And, you know, even when I went to college, I was away from home for four years, but I was an hour away. I was still in the state. Um, I'd never lived outside of Massachusetts. So it was a big leap for me to move my entire life to San Diego where I didn't know many people. I jumped into this job which involved quite a bit of travel. I mean, I think I was on the road within two weeks of, of landing in San Diego, adjusting to, you know, to all of this stuff. Um, I mean, my, my relationship at the time fell apart, but it led to, ended up leading to something better. Um, and you know, then I, then I moved to the Bay area in 2014 with my now wife, uh, when she took a job here in, in San Francisco. And, uh, it's crazy to think that, you know, I've been here. I've been here that long now. Yeah, you know, and I, I just love the Bay Area. I mean, as much as I love San Diego, there is a special spot in the Bay Area. You know, I wonder what there's a reason why. You know, <laughs> <laughs> this guy. Well, yeah, I well, was gonna say I mean, maybe we could figure out why, but yeah. I mean, you know, I I love. I mean, I love the Bay Area. We we bought our home here a little over a year ago. I mean, unless something that we can't pass up comes our way. I think this is where we're going to be for, I mean, for the duration at this point. And for me, the, the Bay area, especially Marin County, where I live now seems to be a nice balance between my East coast, central Massachusetts roots and San Diego, where I was prior to moving up here. It's not quite as laid back. The weather's not quite as nice. Uh, the terrain is kind of a happy medium between that coastal desert and kind of inland mountainous area. And it's still California. Uh, and it's pretty, I mean, as you guys can attest to, it's pretty amazing. Isn't this the best conversation? Oh, I'm always up for a conversation about the Bay Area. And it's really fun to hear Mario on this side of the mic and learn more about who he is as a person. 
We wanted to take a quick minute to thank one of our sponsors, Inside Tracker. I have an appointment set up to have my blood drawn, and I'm really curious to find out how my body is holding up to the challenges of an injury and recovery. Inside Tracker makes it simple to get a blood draw, and I can't wait to get the results back. If you want to enhance your training, take advantage of 25% off with the code SWEETRUN. So go to InsideTracker.com SWEETRUN to save some money and give yourself a jump start to achieve your performance goals. All right, now let's get back to the fun food and running in Marin County. It's pretty yeah. amazing. Marin County is one of the most beautiful places, I think in the u.s and with that mario tell us anybody listening or for us because i know there's so many places in the bay area that i that i don't know about if we were to come first of all i want to come run with you but if we were to come tell us i'm gonna come i'm gonna take you up on it Um, please do i mean i've got a trailhead 30 seconds from my front door yeah we can we can run right from here I love it. All right. Well, tell us what's your favorite, where are your favorite places to run in Marin County? There really aren't many, if any, bad places to run in Marin County. I live in Novato, which I, I half jokingly say is the fringes of Marin County. We're about as far north in the county as you can go. A lot of people don't come up here because it's so far from San Francisco or central slash Southern Marin, which is where like kind of all the action happens. And before buying our house, like a little over a year ago, we lived in central Marin in Kent field. Uh, we had incredible trail access down there as well. Um, and I really grew to enjoy running in the Mount Tam watershed. And it's basically the North side of Mount Tam. A lot of people, when they think of trail running in Marin, the first thing they think of, especially if they're coming from San Francisco or out of town is the Marin headlands. It's the First thing you see over the Golden Gate Bridge, they are incredible trails. Uh, They're very, very exposed. They're right on the ocean. You've got amazing views of the city. I mean, you you really can't go wrong with a run there. But the north side of Mount Tam is just a completely different world. Very different terrain. There are trees, a lot more single track instead of fire roads, uh, bodies of water that are not the Pacific Ocean. I mean, you've got views of the backside of Mount Tam. And it's a little more effort to get there, probably another 15, 20 minutes by car um, past the Marin Headlands where, where, where it's like the first stop over the bridge. But if you go another 15, 20 minutes north to the watershed, I mean, there's some of the most incredible trails that you could ever run. I mean, I used to be able to run them from my door from the apartment that we used to rent in Kentfield, and I took full advantage of it. And even now we live about another 25 minute drive north of there. I still drive back about once a week or so to run some of those loops. And my favorite is one that is called the lakes loop. And there is a series of lakes on the North side of Mount Tam. One of the, they're actually reservoirs, but one of them is called Bon Tempe. One is called Lagunitas. Uh, and the other one is called Phoenix. Um, and you can do a short loop around Phoenix uh, and that can be four to six miles. You can go all the way out to Bon Tempe and and just come back and that can be like 10 or 11 miles or you could add on Lagunitas, which is what I did this past Sunday and it can be 13, 14 miles depending where you start from. And I mean, those, those are some of the best runs I've ever been on anywhere in the entire world and I still get back to hit them once a week or so. Mm, that sounds great. Have you done any of those trails? 
you know, I may have not knowing what I was doing, just exploring, you know, because sure. I, as a Berkeley East Bay guy, it was always like a trek to go over, you know? So right. You, mm-hmm. And you just kind of, like you said, you just see a trailhead and you start going. And Gerald, that's my excuse for not running in the East Bay, by the way. It's just a trek to get over <laughs> to the other side. I've got to go over the Richmond Bridge and pay a toll. And I've, I've done a couple runs over there. It is beautiful. Um, and I think the East Bay trails are underrated, but I feel the same way. Yeah, no, I, I get it. And because there's so much I don't know about that, you know, right on the other side, just because mm-hmm. it was always like, well, I got the Berkeley Hills. Uh, I got yep. the, another reservoir to run around if, right over yep. here. So I just do that. But yeah, always enjoyed, you know, anything Mount Tam and Marin County, you know, all those pockets are great. Yeah. And what's amazing is just the variety. I mean, you could summit Mount Tam on one of the rockiest, steepest, gnarliest trails that you would ever expect to find in an area that is covered with quote unquote California carpet, like just these smooth, buttery, you know, single track trails or wide fire roads. Um, but you can, you can take a pretty, you know, pretty stout route up the mountain. It's three miles straight to the top and you gain something like 2,500 feet. Um, but then you can come down this like real flowy fire road and run the entire thing. And it's just really magical. And then there's, you know, flat single track rolling Hills. I mean, there's just a little bit of everything, which I think is part of what makes it so unique and special. Mm. Sure. That's beautiful there. I mean, just like every time I see people, you know, take a photo or just, I don't know the times that we have been over there to visit people or friends that we know it's mm-hmm. kind of like why wouldn't you want to live here which is exactly why <laughs> i don't know why we live in la because i think i could just <laughs> say one word and gerald would say okay let's pack it all up and like move to the bay area so <laughs> well when we moved to the bay in 2014 we moved to san mateo which is south of san francisco mm-hmm. And the reason we moved there is we needed to be close to Caltrain because my wife needed to get into the city for work. And I needed to be close to the airport because I was still working for a competitor. I worked for a competitor remotely for another two years um, after we moved to the Bay Area. But I was going back to San Diego at least initially once a month and traveling to other places. So we need to be near the airport. And the first weekend we were here, um, we were invited up to... Marin. And actually my wife, my wife was invited up to Marin by our mutual friend, Brad to ride bikes. And I tagged along and said, all right, I'll, I'll find a place to run. And soon as we got over the bridge, I'd spent zero time in Marin. I'd heard all about it. I spent no time in Marin. Christine went for a bike ride. I took the car. I drove to Tennessee Valley, which is one of the first exits, uh, over the golden gate bridge. I went for a run, ended up in the Marin headlands. And I was like, we're going to live here someday. Like we need to find a way to live here someday. I had no idea how it was going to happen. Uh, it is not a cheap place to live by, by any means. I still like scratch my head that we were able to, you know, to, to buy a house, but we had to go as far North and Marin as you could to, to do that. But it really is a special place. And that was really impressed upon me from the first run that I, I took here. And then I was coming up every weekend. I mean, driving from San Mateo through the city over the bridge. I mean, pretty much an hour drive each way, best case scenario, an hour drive each way, um, just to run in the Marin headlands. And then eventually, you know, North of the bridge and fast forward to 2016 when our lease was up at the place we were running in San Mateo, my wife's office had moved. I was no longer working for a competitor, so I didn't need to be so close to the airport. Um, 
were like, well, what are you know, what are we gonna do? And I was like, well, we're gonna we're gonna move to Marin. <laughs> like we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna find a way to live on the other side of the bridge. And um, you know, we we found this little apartment uh, that was you know actually cheaper than what we were paying for rent in San Mateo. It had it had no heat. Uh, it had like basically like the worst windows you could ever imagine. I mean, over the winter, I mean, people were like, Oh, it doesn't get cold there in California. I, I mean, compared to Massachusetts, it doesn't get cold, but in the Valley where we lived, I mean, it would get down to about freezing or so, but when your 1960s apartment with single pane windows and no heat, uh, does not keep itself warm and it's 52 degrees in your in your place you know in a january morning i mean it's not pleasant um but anyway it worked for us it was great we stayed there for like three plus years um and it was you know some of the most incredible running i've ever had from my door and you know the whole time we were there we were like figuring out how can we plant our roots here i mean we're you know we're both in our my, my wife's already 40 i'm in my late 30s like how can we like plant our roots here um and and call this place home for you know for the long term and fortunately we were able to do it and and i'm grateful every day that i i get to run in this in this paradise really i mean it, it is some of the most incredible running anywhere in the world and and i've been a lot of places in the world so i feel pretty confident in saying that that's awesome and do you take tahoe with you on some of those runs or all of those runs these days these days yeah he's running about 15 miles a week uh he gets out he gets out like three to four times a week for like three to five miles and loves tearing around the trails we also have a like a nice like bike path uh not far from our our front door that we can run on so he likes getting out as well uh and taking advantage of it so yep he's uh he's been my most aside from my wife been my most frequent training partner over the past year or so he is so cute. I love seeing, I love when you post pictures of him because he's just like really cute. <laughs> I, I sent out a survey to newsletter readers uh, two months ago, two and a half months ago, and by far the number one piece of feedback that people wrote in was more Tahoe content. So uh, I will, I will try to, I will try to oblige. Yeah. I dog. know you're not on social media anymore, Mario, but you could honestly do like a, a separate like Instagram account just for, for, for Tahoe. Tahoe. Yeah, Tahoe. Gets oh, my wife has like one. So <laughs> yeah, my, my wife manages it. It's it's Tahoe underscore in underscore Nevada. So oh, if you look you for Tahoe and yeah, yeah, my wife managed it. I haven't looked at it in a while, but Tahoe in Nevada has his own Instagram account uh, and she updates it. I think it's like semi-frequently. Um, so you can follow his adventures there. And every <laughs> once in a while, I pop up. Oh, my gosh. That is awesome. I'm definitely going to follow his adventures. Everybody go follow Tahoe and his... Uh... Yeah, Tahoe and Nevada. I love it. That's <laughs> I love great. It. All right. So, Mario, okay, we're, we've gone on these awesome, beautiful trail runs. We've seen the most, some of the most mm -hmm. incredible views. But now we're hungry. So tell us, where do you love to go and fill your stomach in Marin County? So if you want to kill two birds with one stone and run that lakes loop that i just told you about you can park at mh bread and butter in san anselmo it's owned by two runners husband and wife devin and nathan yanko it's been there since i think 2012 2013. um it's a bakery so they've got every baked good you could imagine from morning buns and cinnamon rolls and you know croissants to loaves of bread that you can buy bring home uh, but they also have a full menu for breakfast and lunch uh, so you can sit down afterward right now just outside because of covid times but you know you can 
park right outside, which is what I typically do. And then I will go run a lake sloop and I will finish there and I'll go inside either for pastries or breakfast or lunch, uh, one or the other. So, I mean, you really can't go wrong with that combo and, and you kind of fulfill the, you know, the run all the miles, eat all the food, uh, stuff at once. So that would be my, my top recommendation. Uh, if you want to combine a, a really incredible run with a really awesome meal afterward. Oh, that nice. sounds so good. I'm hungry now. Yes. <laughs> All right. So what about like, um, you know, if we go for a run, but then later we want to go out for dinner, what are some great dinner options? Oh, I mean, there are a ton throughout the County. Um, we really like to go into either San Rafael, which is kind of one of the, it's like a semi-major city uh, in in Marin, probably the, the most major city, most urban city in the county. If you go to to downtown San Rafael, I mean, there are a number of options there that you can go to. Um, Pond Farm Brewing is uh, a newer spot, newer brewery out there. Um, you can take stuff out right now or sit outside when the weather's when the weather's good and do that. Um, but during the pandemic they have been closing down the main drag through San Rafael. Uh, they've also been doing it in Nevada where we live and a lot of the other towns as well on like Fridays and Saturdays. And you can go, you know, to any of those restaurants there and just like sit outside and, and catch a bite to eat and you can get whatever you want. I mean, you can go to like one of my, one of my favorite places to go to um, is a restaurant called soul food and there's one in mill valley and there's one in san rafael and it is puerto rican cuisine and the line is always around the block and it's worth the wait it's absolutely worth the wait but there's one like right in downtown san rafael that's a spot you know i like to you know i like to frequent for for dinner we've picked stuff up there uh the past few months so you can't really go wrong with that and i feel like that's pretty unique i mean you can't really get authentic Puerto Rican cuisine in many places. Um, being in the Bay Area, you've got incredible options for dim sum and uh, Mexican sushi. I mean, you name it. I mean, there's, yeah, there's every conceivable type of, of cuisine here, but um, soul food, highly recommend it. Mill Valley or, or San Rafael, uh, great running around both of those places as well. So you can't really go wrong. That sounds incredible. We'll have to check that out for sure. Yeah, and there's that. That's great to hear because there's so many little places or a, a few little places that I you know knew about and or hung out at you know at various times with work friends mm -hmm. you know. Um, but that's been a long time. We've been in LA for so long. It's it's great to hear yeah. like the refresh, the the up the current you know fair. What if I can ask, what are some of the places you used to frequent? I can tell you if they're still there or not. So or if they're as popular as they once were, you have to tell them about homemade in Berkeley. Well, that's Berkeley. That's, that's the other side. Okay. What I'm I haven't thinking... spent as much time there. So yeah, that's, that's out of, outside of my wheelhouse. Yeah. <laughs> but if, any if spots you... in Marin that, that you used to go so to? So there, there was a place in Sausalito that for the company I worked for, if we did well, I was in sales as well for a while. If we did mm -hmm. well, you know, we do these outings and one of them was um, right on the water you're looking we took a ferry boat over and it's looking the you know it's it's right on the water looking back over to san francisco and on a nice day with bloody mary's in the afternoon I, there's probably a reason why i don't remember the name of the place but, <laughs> but it was i i do remember the drinks 
and sitting on the water on one of those nice warm days where strangely enough, it was probably 20 degrees warmer in that part of Marin than in the city. And it was beautiful. Oh yeah. Yeah. The the microclimates here are something else. Um, yes. I mean, you can drive 10 or 15 minutes and things change very quickly. Uh, I wonder where you were. Was it the Trident? Um, that's one of the spots that's right along the water there in Sausalito. I think there's a spot called the Joinery as well. And there's another one called Barbachi, which is really popular. Uh, that okay. all like all those places fit that bill. They're right on the water. They look back at the city. Um, I've been to a few of them myself. I mean, you can't get a better view of San Francisco than from right there. And as you pointed out, the weather is typically a lot better. Yeah. And the two other ones, there was one place where um, I think there was like some type of um, brick building that may have been a, a kiln bakery or something like that, or a furnace of, at some point. And mm -hmm. it, it, they turned the place into a restaurant, right? And so we're sitting in effectively this big brick baker, you know, big, big brick oven. Uh, and it was right mm -hmm. near the, um, in, I think San Rafael, right near the ferry, um, right where the ferry crossing or landing is. There was oh, that. Oh, in Larkspur. Yep. Yeah, Larkspur. Yeah, Larkspur. Yep. Oh. Larkspur. And the last one was a steakhouse kind of very quaint rustic going back into the city on the right side of the road if you're going back into uh down the 101 back across the bridge very nice steakhouse wine you know all that good stuff i know i know where that steakhouse is i can picture it and i can't remember the name of it but i know exactly where it is right off the highway and I don't know the exact spot you're thinking of in Larkspur, but right there is the Larkspur Landing. And yes. there's a lot of great places right in there. They do food trucks once a week. I don't know if they've done them since the pandemic started, but they used to have food trucks out there on Sundays. And my wife and I used to go and just sample whatever from different food trucks. Uh, Marin Brewing Company is in that same plaza. And there's a there's there's a few different spots in there that are that are really pretty incredible. You can't go wrong with that. And then the last spot I, I would mention, um, because we we used to walk to this place from our old apartment in Kentfield, and we've been back a few times during the pandemic uh, for takeout, but it's called Tony Tuto Pizza. Ooh. And coming from an East Coast guy, if I make a pizza recommendation, I mean, you, you got to trust right. me that it's a, it's a good recommendation. And Tony Tuto Pizza, I was first introduced to it when we moved up here in 2014. His original location was in Mill Valley, and he was there forever. And I, I don't know the guy's actual name, but he just goes by Tony. Uh, that's like his, his pizza name. And he's super interesting. He used to be a manager for like like very well-known musician. He was Carlos Santana's manager and he has a lot of like music themed like pizzas and things with, you know, within, within the restaurant. Well, he had to shut down his mill Valley location a few years ago because the land, the landlords, the owners were, were raising the building and they were putting something else there. And he wasn't part, he wasn't a part of their future plans. So he spent like over a year looking for a spot to reopen his restaurant in Marin. And, and fortunately for my wife and I, he opened up like, like a little more than a half mile down from our apartment. And we used to walk to his place. And I mean, they just have really good pizza. It's all, it's all vegetarian. 
I should say, meaning like you can get a cheese. You, you just can't get meat on your pizza. He doesn't do meat. Uh, and I, I've never asked him why. I need to ask him why he doesn't do meat. But I mean, real cheese. I mean, real, you know, everything else is like real. I mean, you get real like pizza crust. I mean, you can get gluten free too or vegan if you like that sort of thing. Um, just no meat. Um, but his pizzas are really good. Best I've had, certainly in Marin County. Um, very small restaurant, but there's a field across the street. So you can just take your pizza across the street and sit in the field and enjoy a nice, you know, enjoy a nice evening, um, sitting outside eating your pizza. And he's got a, he's got a very solid beverage selection as well. I nice. feel like only in California, can you go to a pizza place and they're like, sorry, no meat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, only in California. It, it is, it is very, it is very Californian in, in that way. Um, but I, I mean, and I'm not vegetarian or vegan, but I don't feel like I'm missing out. So it's worth it. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Now, what about places to stay like quaint little, a quaint little inn or bed and breakfast? Do you need to go back across to, to San Francisco or are there some places near you? I don't, I don't know. Cause I've never actually stayed myself. Um, I think I know there are a lot of Airbnb VRBO type options and you could find some cool places up on a ridge or potentially on the water, which would make for a really cool weekend or week long experience, depending how long you want to stay. I mean, there are certainly in San Rafael, bigger hotel chains. So you can find your Marriott's and Hilton's and, you know, inns like days inns and things like that. If you're, you know, if that's, if that's more your speed, uh, and there are bed and breakfasts like around, I've just never been to any of them and I'm not familiar with them, but if, if you look, I'm sure you could find some, some pretty cute ones close. I mean, I mean, you're, and you're pretty close to like open space and trails and that sort of thing, no matter where you are in the County, which is pretty unique to this area. Yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably pitch a tent somewhere. You know, I, I'd go backpacking, <laughs> you know, to be in the, uh, you know, in the foothills of Mount Tam and, and out on the trails, you know, yeah. <laughs> you can, you can certainly do that as well. I mean, there's campgrounds um, all throughout Mount Tam State Park that you could, you could spend a night at. I mean, there are little, um, like huts essentially that I think you need to reserve, but you could spend the night at, I mean, you, if you really want to go out to the edges of Marin County, um, not far from where I live, get out to Point Reyes. It's really remote, but Point That's Reyes is one of the most beautiful spots on the planet. And they actually have a hostel out there, which is uh, typically very, very busy with hikers and campers, but you could use that as a, as a home base and just go run a lot of those trails like, right out on right out on the ocean and i mean when you're in point rays i mean you just you just feel like you're on another planet it's so green it's so lush it's so remote but it's incredibly beautiful i totally agree oh. i as a boy scout that's where i learned to body surf um that's a, a lot of my hiking and camp we weren't even allowed to use tents because they're like mm -hmm. you don't need a tent out here you, need you don't need to it. see this you know Yep. Even when the dew point was like on top of you, no yeah. tents allowed. Him. So, yeah, I, I mean, in Point Ray Station, which is the little town that's out there. So, I mean, there are other little towns, but it's kind of the the main little town where there's a grocery store and there's a bakery and there's a there's a little market. There's a little coffee shop there. I mean, my wife and I were just out there two weekends ago. We went for a run out that way we stopped at point race station and then we we headed home and we feel really fortunate that that's a, a very short drive for us um but it's just 
it's just a really, really special place. Uh, but it's it's kind of far, so I mean, it's a it's a commitment to go there. But if you're coming from out of town, it's definitely worth it. Yeah, I've been there once or twice, and it was just as you said. It's so beautiful there. And by the way. Gerald, I know is in heaven right now because he is such a Bay Area person through and through. I can just see, like, I can tell that. You I wonder if when we him. get off this recording, he's going to be like, uh, honey, we need to, we need to like, think about moving back north. I think Mario sold us down to Red County. I'm trying For to behave. Sure. I, I'm, I'm being quiet because I'm trying to behave because I don't want to like go crazy and take over the conversation. Like, oh, dude, this one time. And you know, I, I don't want to. <laughs> We can save that for when we go running. There you go. Yes, we are definitely yeah. coming to go running with you. All right. Okay. What about races? I know there are so many incredible trail races up there and just races, but what are mm -hmm. your favorite? What would you recommend for someone coming up? What, what races should they do? Yeah, there's a very big and unique trail community and racing out here. I mean, in normal times, you can find a trail race from 5k to 50 miles almost any weekend of the year and there are some bigger ones uh like the miwok 100k the what was the north face endurance challenge it's getting taken over this year by spartan i believe um you know those are those are some of the big ones but there there are smaller ones that are certainly worth taking advantage of i mean if we're talking marin specifically uh, the Dipsy race is a classic. It's the oldest trail race in the world. It's really hard to get into. It's really quirky. Uh, it's a really tough course, uh, even though it's only a seven mile race, but you essentially go, you know, up and over the side of Mount Tam and end at Stinson Beach. But if you have the opportunity to do that or just run the Dipsy trail, I mean, I feel like it's a bucket list Marin thing to do. Um, that said, I have no interest in running the dipsy race though i've run the trail a bunch of times um i feel like for me the way that i like to run and where i would start i would most assuredly get hurt and it's just not worth the risk for me um because it's i mean you got like a thousand people crammed into this like you know a single track trail but i mean that's probably the the most historic and certainly the most popular is the the dipsy race on Labor Day every year, there is a, a small race called the Mount Tam Hill Climb, which has gone on for 30 some odd years. They actually didn't have it last year, but it starts in downtown Mill Valley and you run the what's called the classic route up Mount Tam. It's a little over 5K. It's like 3.2 miles, but you gain 2,500 feet or so. And I mean, it brings out some pretty talented runners in the area. I mean, that's a classic route. People run it all the time. I mean, you know, you walk around any of the towns here, if you're in the running community and someone's going to ask you like, what if you run up Mount Tam? Like, it's kind of one of those things you have to do. Uh, but there is an actual race that occurs on Labor Day every year. And, and it's got this awesome community feel to it because you finish. And then the guy who organizes it, and I think every few years, like someone else takes it over. Um, but whoever takes it over typically lives in the neighborhood and they'll have everyone over to their house afterward for a backyard barbecue. And they have the award ceremony. And I mean, we're talking like, you know, maybe a hundred people total, but it just has this like real, like small town community feel to it. And I love that kind of stuff. And I, I miss not having it last year. I know. I was just thinking like a hundred people getting together at someone's house after a race. 
Those were the days, right? Yeah. Those were the days. Yeah, right. I mean, so I, I mean, those are the ones that stand out to me. Um, there is a, a PA series cross a cross country series, and there are a couple of those cross country events here in Marin. One of them's at China Camp in San Rafael. It's like a four mile, you know, four mile race over some beautiful trails, but a little flatter and, and mellower than some of the mountain stuff and certainly not as long. Um, and, and in terms of like Marin road races, believe it or not, there aren't many great ones. There are in San Francisco and other places throughout the Bay. There used to be this incredible one called the Marin 10 K and it started right outside our old apartment. And it used to be on the PA series, uh, road championships, and it would draw like a fast field every year. I mean, just like Olympic trials level guys and gals coming out to run and, and again, bigger race, but real community atmosphere to it. And for whatever reason, they stopped doing it, uh, a few years ago and, and there's talk of it coming back. And, and if it does come back, that would, that would be one I'd, I'd add to the, the racing schedule when it resumes. Awesome. You know, California and Northern California in particular is so beautiful throughout the whole year, but do you have a favorite time of year that really speaks to you? This time of year, I, I love winter and I miss the seasons back home in New England. I don't miss the like several feet of snow that my dad's dealing with right now, but I miss the changing of the seasons going from summer to fall and fall to winter and winter to spring. And, and we're in our winter right now and, and winter here means wetter. So we've been getting rain basically since October, November or so, and it'll carry through till about May. And it's not it's not constant, which is what I like about it. I mean, we'll get a good soaking every once in a while, uh, for a few days in a row and, and we need it because it gets very, very dry here from like May, June until the rain starts again. And, and it gets quite dangerous, uh, honestly with fire season. I mean, that's the case throughout California. Um, but this time of year, I mean, we'll get the occasional rain. So I, I like that variety. I love, like, I really love the cold and I mean, it's not Northeast cold, it's California cold. It's a drier cold. Um, it can be a damp cold too when there's rain in the forecast, but it's perfect for me. Like, I mean, 30, 40 degree mornings. I, I can't complain. I mean, I really can't complain when the highs are, you know, the high today was 60 degrees. I mean, that's, that's perfect. It doesn't get much better than that. Um, so I really love this time of year. I'm not a big heat guy. And, and here in Nevada, when we hit the peak of summer, uh, it can get really hot and dry, like regularly, like 90 plus degrees during the day. And I will certainly hunker myself down inside because I just can't, I can't take the heat. Um, and, and that I just have to like, I have to get through those months. Like I don't soak up the sun. I don't relish in the heat. My wife and I are very different in that way. Like she's totally a creature of the sun, loves summertime. You know, I'm like a, I'm a winter cat. Um, and, and yeah, so this time of year right now, I'm just, I'm relishing in it because I know few months from now, like we're, we're going to hit, you know, late spring, summer, and, you know, those hot days are going to roll in and, and it'll be, you know, just a lot more unpleasant in general. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. This is like the most perfect running weather this time of the year. So it's pretty special. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. What about Mario? Like, you know, I'm sure you must do a lot of like, get a lot of your gear and supplies and things online, but are there any like brick and mortar running oh, yeah. stores that you'd recommend? 
Yep, here in Marin, it's San Francisco Running Company, um, which ironically does not have a store in San Francisco, but they have two in Marin, <laughs> one in Mill Valley, uh, one in San Anselmo, not far from where I used to live, um, locally owned and operated, very much the community hub of running here. I mean, even if you don't need gear, pop in and and talk to any of those guys like matt jorge or lewis and san anselmo they'll they'll give you the lay of the land tell you where to run like make recommendations beyond what i gave you for places to go eat afterward they brand a lot of their clothing um you can buy i mean if you don't live in the area you can buy it from them online but that's our that's our local shop uh and that's been a, a part of my life since i mean literally the week we moved here um even before we moved to marin i mean i came I came up and I did that initial run in the headlands. And then the next week, actually, I ran at San Francisco running company because someone told me that they had a group run and I've been, you know, I've been going to it ever since, uh, with some regularity, I coached the racing team for, for a while. Uh, and that's, that's the brick and mortar shop here in Marin. Um, there are others in San Francisco, uh, if, if you're in the city and then over in the East Bay, you know, there are a couple shops, um, some new ones as well. One of them has been there for a while called transports, um, there's a there's a newer shop over uh, in Oakland. I'm looking for the name of it right now called Renegade Running, um, and it's it's op I think it opened about a year or so ago. Um, so they've been navigating some pretty challenging times in the in terms of retail, um, but they're doing some awesome things for the community over there in the East Bay, and they they're certainly a resource for you know that part of uh, that part of the Bay Area. Awesome. Nice. Mario, this has honestly been, I don't even want the conversation to end. I know we have to <laughs> yeah, we end at some point. <laughs> we always like to ask everyone that comes on um, our one final question, which is if you mm -hmm. could run anywhere in the world, and I know you've probably been to some amazing places, but if you could run anywhere, where would it be and why? I've thought about this question a bit recently. And if I could run anywhere. I'd go back home to Massachusetts and I would go for a trail run on the Central Mass Rail Trail in West Boylston. It runs along the Quinnipoxit River. I've run, I mean, at least a thousand miles on that trail since high school. I try to get back to it every time I go home to see my dad. It was one of the places where I fell in love with running. It's just a very special place to me um it runs along this just very peaceful river um it's the type of running i like to do it's it's a it's a buffed out like uh rail trail i mean it's you can't trip and fall and you know injure yourself i mean nothing against those folks who love like the technical uh <laughs> climbing up the mountain stuff i mean this is this is kind of a false flat on the way out you know, so you're gradually running uphill along the river. It just, it's very peaceful. And then you turn around at the end because there's not really anywhere to go and you can just really fly coming back. And, and I just, I love that sensation when I'm coming back, I've got this gentle downhill, I'm running alongside the river. I feel like I'm flowing with the water. I can open up my stride and it's just like, you know, talk about a runner's high. Like that's, that's where I get it like every time. Uh, so if I had, if I had one run that I could I could go on. That's, that's where I would, that's where I would do it. Mm, that sounds really special. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait to get up and go for my run now, Mario. You make, you're making me like, <laughs> just want to get outside and go for a run. So that's awesome. 
This has been such a treat. I am just so happy to like actually like connect with you. And, and this has really been awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Yeah, this was super fun on my end as well. And I look forward to your next visit to the Bay and hopefully sharing some miles with both of you. Yeah, now it's going to be a heck of a lot sooner, man. It's, it's like this. You, you're definitely He's already got the, the backpack packed. He's got the tent, Mario. He's got it all set. And I'll bring my running shoes. I'll, I'll be up for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and we've got a basketball court across the street from my house, too, so we can go out and, and shoot some hoop, too. Man, we can cut, just knock down a whole bunch of them off the list. That's great. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so Thank you much. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. A huge thank you to Mario for coming on the show. Mario, thank you for everything that you contribute to the running community through your coaching, your podcast, and newsletter. You are truly helping runners everywhere. Everyone, go subscribe to Mario's show, The Morning Shakeout, and his newsletter, Definitely subscribe to both and enhance your Tuesday mornings. You can find both at themorningshakeout.com. Follow Mario on social media, Instagram and Twitter at the AM Shakeout. And you can follow the adventures of his dog Tahoe on his very own Instagram account, Tahoe in Nevada. Thank you to our sponsors, Inside Tracker and Beam. Inside Tracker is offering 25% off its entire store for our listeners. Just visit InsideTracker.com slash SweetRun. All right, friends, we are so excited to be partnering with Beam, and you are going to love their newest product, the Elevate Hydration Powders. Oh my gosh, it is, they're so good. They come in three great flavors, watermelon, fresh lemon, and berry. I'm personally team watermelon. I have to ask Gerald what his favorite flavor is. Josh likes them all, and I need to hide them. <laughs> from everybody um, but they give your body the electrolytes that we need and crave I'm drinking a ton of it right now because I am running more and training more which is a really good thing I'm excited about and I hope you guys try it too I'm so happy to share this with you use the code SWEETRUN to get 15% off your order again it's from Beam it's the Elevate Hydration Powders alright friends join us next week as we chat with another great runner living in an awesome location. Hint, we're going international again. So you'll have to join us and find out where in the world we're going next week. All right, friends, we'll see you then. We will see you then.